0: We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: You heard her, go subscribe. This is the Marketing Podcast Network.
0: Stories influence, teach, and inspire us. But what about the storytellers who create them? Uncorking a Story profiles storytellers to uncover how their background and life experiences influence the stories they create we learn what motivates them their path to success and what fuels them to keep creating it all starts by asking one simple question where does your story begin welcome to uncorking a story now here's your host mike carlin
1: Uh, hello and welcome to uncorking a story i'm your host mike carlin and today i'm pleased to introduce you to abdul razak gurna The uh, 2021 winner of the Nobel Prize in Literature. Among his many novels uh, are Paradise by the Sea and Desertion. Born and raised in Zanzibar, he's a professor emeritus of English and post-colonial literature at the University of Kent. He joins me today to talk about his new novel, Afterlives. Welcome to Uncorking a Story, Abdul Razak.
2: Thank you very much.
1: Uh, I'm very happy to have you here, very excited to talk to you. You are my first uh, Nobel Prize winner. Um, so I can cross that off my bucket list after today. But uh, I'm going to ask you the question I ask everybody as we begin here, which is, uh, Abdul Razak, where does your story as an author begin?
2: Uh, Yeah, and how does everybody answer that question? (laughs) 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 Because it uh, suggests that there there is a sort of a finite start somewhere where you begin. I think uh, I would say possibly it began with after I made the move, uh, from Zanzibar to, to live in the UK, but not immediately. It wasn't like that's there. Here I am. I got time. I'll do whatever, but it's more like the kind of, uh, the life I encountered, I suppose, uh, um, I was 18 years old. Um, um a stranger in a place that I really didn't know very much about, even though I thought I did, but I didn't really, uh, so there are two things. One is uh, having left in difficult circumstances. So there's a sort of there, and there's also sort the of this other place I'm now at, which is new to me, uh, exciting, adventure, young, everything's interesting. But at the same time, you're still a stranger. You're still anxious about things. I think in that during in that during that process, uh, I started to do a lot of reflecting, thinking, and uh, trying to sort things out. Um, and uh, as sometimes happens for some people anyway, uh, writing things down is uh, aids this process. It's sort of helps to, to clarify things. Um, particularly when you're young, I think. So, you know, a gloomy day, raining out there, you're feeling miserable, whatever, sit down and write about it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and that makes you feel better somehow. I don't know quite why, but it does. It's like talking to somebody, I suppose.
1: Well, there's, it's, it's therapeutic in many regards. Um, you know, you're, you're uh, you know, it's, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I guess therapeutic. Um, writing for me anyway has, has always had that impact. Um,
2: sure.
1: You know, okay. it's the kind of getting, getting it out of you, kind of getting something out of you always, always makes me feel better somehow.
2: Okay. But that process really is not intended for anybody else. At least it wasn't for me. It wasn't something that uh, I was writing down because I was then going to show it to somebody and say, what do you think? It's just part of what, you, what I was doing to, um, to understand what was get, happening. Uh, and because there is pleasure in writing, I always enjoyed writing, so there is pleasure in doing it uh, as well. I think as this went on, and it took maybe two, three years of doing this before I, thought, I started thinking in terms of um, this could be something I might do something with, in other words, when I found myself fictionalizing these uh, experiences and writing a story that might reflect the kind of things that I, that, that I was um, trying to write down, um, then I started thinking, could this become a story? And then, as the thing grows, you think, could this become a novel? And then eventually, you're hooked, and then you're that's it, you're lost. Then uh, you have to make it work. In a way, however however long it takes, at least you've got to give it a good go to see if it will work. Um, that, that's so that's how my journey as the as it was started. Yeah. Uh, it was never something that I, you know, as a as a very young person or as a teenager thought, this is what I want to do when I grow up, sort of thing. Right. Um, it was never like that. I guess because I didn't really have a role model where I where I lived, I'd say. We didn't have anybody who was a professional writer at that time in the part of the world I came from, even though there were people who were writing, but they would write odd things, publish in a newspaper, maybe read on the radio, this kind of thing. But the idea of a, a, a career as a writer was not something anybody uh, that I knew of had thought of, and it had not occurred to me either. Um, anyway, so that's how it started. Yeah.
1: When, when you were younger, though, uh, growing up in Zanzibar, did, did you have a, a sense of what you wanted to be when you grew up?
2: Well, we were growing up at the time, uh, I'm say we, I mean, me and people of my age, people of my generation, we were growing up in that period of um, um, campaigning for decolonization um, in the 1950s and 1960s. Um, and then the priority in all of our minds seemed to be that you must go and do something that would be of benefit to the country, um, and nobody suggested that writing would be that thing. Right. You know, what is of benefit? Well, what is of benefit? You go and train to be an engineer, or you go and train to be a doctor, or something like that. So we were kind of filled with this sort of idea: that's, uh, the most uh, socially useful ambition you could have. Is to, if you can, is to go and study something technical like that, that will will come and make a contribution. I don't think this is peculiar to but I think this was something that was part of that that era, that time, that sense of uh, we must pick ourselves up, we must do things for ourselves. Um, So when I first went to England, it was to study, um, to be an engineer. Uh, Only the money ran out, and I had to go to work. Uh, and during that period, I said, No, I don't really want to do this. I really want to study uh, literature. So when I was ready to return, when I was able to return to study, that's what I did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, you mentioned kind of feeling like a, a stranger in a strange land. Um, what, were, what was some of your early experiences like after you left Zanzibar to, to go to England? Well, I mentioned a moment
2: ago that most certainly part of it was just a sense of adventure, really. I mean, you know, 18-year-old in a strange place, lots of things to see, different, you know, architecture, people, food. Not all of it was pleasant, but, <laughs> but you know, it was exciting, that, that, just that sense of being in a, in a different place. Like My um, God, But uh, a stranger's existence is always hard work, especially when you're young and you're not experience, an experienced traveler and all that. Um, you don't know how things work, uh, you don't know if you don't have very much money, probably. Uh, and also you don't, I didn't at first actually understand that I wasn't a welcome stranger. Um, and that kind of dawned as the days passed, Either uh, because I didn't always understand what people were saying to me. I didn't realize that in fact they were being abusive, if they weren't being abusive. Um, I mentioned also that the other uh, issue, big, big, big thing for me at the time is thinking, what have I lost? What have I left behind? What have I done? Is this a clever thing to have done? Um, To have uh, left in in such a, well, because I left in a way that would have made it impossible for me to return. Um, A kind of exit visa type of thing, off you go because you can't come back uh, because you broke the law immigration laws were doing that so there was that other thing the other misery was just thinking, have I done the right thing um, So it was, it was, that was a difficulty. I mean hostility was one thing, but hostility is not um, totally unexpected mm-hmm. and I think um, I think when you are young, you're probably kind of more impervious to this. Um, um, except of course, if it's right in your face, uh, then for anybody, that's not pleasant. But I think it was that idea of being uh, stranded somewhere as you were well that uh, that was the strongest feeling for a while.
1: Yeah how um, who did you leave back at home?
2: Well, my parents, my sisters, uh, friends, uh, other relatives. My brother and I left together, but we just left on own. Um, yeah, so it was and also just leaving the place uh, to which you belong. I mean, not only people, of course, have the strongest sense of belonging that you have, but but also the place you knew, the, the ways of uh, the people that you knew, and finding yourself in a place where you have to learn new ways. Um, not I'm not saying it was a terrible tragedy. I'm saying it was it was it was a little difficult to, oh, sure. to, to to get going to and things get better as you not only as you uh, settle in but also as you begin to make a life for yourself and this is what I think something quite admirable about uh, about human beings that you've given a chance like refugees like people who are uh, escaping um, deprivations elsewhere when given a chance uh, Many of them, most of them, do make something of that
1: chance for themselves, for their families, et cetera. Yeah, but I imagine just the notion that you can't go home um, has, to, you know, has to weigh on you a little bit and keep you up at night a little bit. Thinking about your, the people you left behind, your family, your parents, friends, um, did, did you have their support when you, when you left or?
2: Yeah, sure, uh, because it was a very difficult time uh, for everybody. Um, but I suppose not everybody could have done what a couple of 18-year- olds could, could do, which is just get up and go. Uh, on the other hand, there are people, as we know, in uh, many places, who have to have no choice but to go, because their lives are at risk. Uh, Syria, Afghanistan, etc. Um, there there is no choice. So th- these are the real refugees in the people where your life is at stake. You've got to go. Uh, whatever the risks, there's of course other kinds of deprivation which are which are not so life threatening, but in a sense they are too because they reduce life, they reduce the meaning of life, uh, and so and so there too the desire for fulfillment, even if it's not life threatening, is crucial to 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 making a decent life for yourself. Yeah,
1: I mean that's certainly something we experience here in the United States. I mean, there's um, uh you know, uh, I'm sure you're aware. Um, it's, uh, sometimes embarrassing, but, um, uh, people coming into the borders and, and looking for asylum. Um, and, you know, now we, we are, you know, a new, new administration, new rules, people are, are, are coming in, they're finding some, some home, but, um, that was always the promise I think of America is give me, you're tired, you're poor. Um, and I don't think we always live up to that, um, Hope, no. you know, we, we don't, right?
2: Well, it doesn't look like it. Yeah,
1: no. um, the, the optics aren't great.
2: Yeah, but what you were saying earlier about uh, thinking about um, what you've left behind, which which I think is, is important for all people who relocate. Uh, and sometimes I look at the young people who are indeed risking their lives crossing the Mediterranean or crossing the English Channel or indeed crossing the Atlantic, to try to get to the Canaries from the African continent because they want to get to Europe. And it, I think to myself, do you realize what you're leaving behind? Because that's what happens, that when you make this move, you're leaving a big part of yourself behind that quite possibly you will never get back. Because there is something, there is a bind you say in migration, I think, whether it's forced, whether it's um, like that, or whether it's voluntary. Because once you make that move, it's a life decision. You're saying, I'm putting everything into this move now. I'm gonna to go to somewhere else, etc., and make a life for myself. And what that does is it means that you've got to do so. You've got to succeed somewhere. Because until you do so, you really can't go back. You can't go back after 10 years and say, actually, that was a, I made a big mess. I went over there to New York. and I just made a big mess, so i have just come home, okay? It'll be too humiliating to do that. So, what most migrants have to do is to just hang on until they can say, okay, now I've made a life. But by the time you get to that point, you're, you're you know many decades older, probably with two or three children, probably with a you know a whole way of, of life and so on. And so that moment is gone, the moment where you might say, Okay, now, I'm, now I've made it, I'm going to go back. So in a way, it's almost it's almost irreversible, this yeah. decision of leaving your home.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you, you put yourself in a situation where you know, failure is not an option, really.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's
1: it, yeah. Yeah. Well, how, how have your experiences, uh, and I know this is a broad question, but how have they impacted the storylines that you've chosen to write about in, in your work?
2: Well, I have written about many of these things that we're discussing now. That is to say, the, the way in which the experience uh, is reversible, irreversible, uh, or the the ways in which strangeness or being in a strange place is uh, complicated. It isn't just a matter of once I learn the money and once I learn how to speak properly, etc. everything will be all right. Because you still have the that your imagination, your mind still occupies another place as well, even though practically in real terms you're occupying here. Uh, so all of these are issues that I've been writing about really, uh, in addition to which here we are, our eyes are open. You just mentioned a moment ago about people trying to get into the United States. Well, your eyes are open, or one, one's eyes are open, if you're writing you're for sure, at some point think, shall I write about that, shall I, do I have the knowledge? Do I have the imaginative capacity as well to write about that? Now, if you've also yourself lived in some way that experience as I have, then indeed you can enter that. You can enter that experience. the things that I write about are things that are both somehow related to my own experience of life, but also my experience of hearing other people's stories and reading about them, or in some cases, imagining them. Um, when you see an injustice in front of you, you're going to see things that, um, um, uh, things that are happening that are uh, improper or unkind, then it's necessary, I think, to me. I feel it's necessary to address those things, to write about them, which is all I can do. I can't go out and arrest whoever it is that's doing that or something like that, but I can write about them.
1: Yeah, in a way, it's, um, it could be cathartic um to to do so and 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 i talk to you know a lot of writers they feel a responsibility to even if writing fiction right because i think there's a lot of truth in fiction um you know experience in it you know we we pour our souls into it but um writers almost take it upon themselves as their responsibility to to tell these stories um oftentimes for for people who can't tell their own stories
2: yeah, I don't even know whether I would say they take on the responsibility. I think there just is no choice mm. uh, when, if, if you are considering writing, what you write about, or at least what I, I think you, I, uh, what I write about is what I see, and if what I see is unjust, then that's what I would write about. And unfortunately, you don't have to look hard to see injustice. <laughs> it's all around us. Um, So there is always something that that we might say, why is that happening? Let me think about that. And let me write about that. And in the process, um, I might understand it better myself. And with a bit of luck, whoever it is that reads it will say, yeah, I see, I see, because that's how I think too. Or indeed, no, I didn't know that, but now I do. So, I mean, literature works in these ways. It first invites us, pleases us, makes us, you know, engages, but also at times it makes us makes us realize what we know. And at other times, of course, it makes us realize what we don't know and tells us, brings us news, tells us about things we don't know. Yeah. So this is fantastic.
1: Well, what can you tell us about uh, your latest book, Afterlives?
2: Um, the book uh, is uh, set during the period uh, of the, mostly during the period of the 1914-1918 war, the First World War uh, in uh, that part of the world I come from, which at that time was uh, colonized as most of Africa was by a European nation, in this case, the, the Germans. it was called deutsch Ostafrika, which means German East Africa. And across the border, the, the British had uh, taken, given themselves the, what was then known as British East Africa, what is now Kenya, the Portuguese Mozambique, the Belgians, the Congo. So all these, all these uh, uh, areas of Africa were all divided up between European nations. When the war started in Europe, the First World War, then it was also fought in these other colonial spaces. In a way, you might say that the um, the war in Africa, which is not very well known about at all. When you think about the first world war, most people in Europe and possibly the US uh, think of the war in Europe and not that it was also happening in, in Africa. In a way you can think about that war in Africa as the last phase of the scramble for Africa when the European nations divided up the continent. So now they're gonna kind of clean it up a little bit, remove the Germans so they can share the rest of Africa between the French and the British Boston. Anyway, I grew up with stories of this historical episode, people telling about it. Um, I, I knew people, in fact, a member of my family who was, uh, was conscripted into the German uh, army. Um, so we knew these stories, but I couldn't find very much to read about these stories. And I always wanted to write about that uh, historical episode. In fact, I kind of glanced at it Paradise. Towards the end, of the final episode is the recruiting drive for the German colonial army. But at the time when I was writing Paradise, I didn't really know enough about the context as well. Um, but over the years I was reading and gathering and teaching and teaching and teaching some of these materials and theories, so in the last few years I was ready. So I wrote about uh, that war and how mostly how the people who lived in that area, how they cooked during that war, which was nothing to do with them um, in a way. They were the the victims of it. It's estimated like 300,000 people died, most of whom were civilian people, uh, and most of them died of disease and starvation rather than as a direct result of the conflict. I mean, of the of being shot or something like that. So it's a terrible episode, and yet it's hardly known about, which seems a good reason to write about it. Yeah. Um,
1: when um, w- when you published your first book, I'm just curious. Um, what did you, or maybe just now with the first book, what have you learned about yourself um, as you've gone? you know, through the process of of publishing, what, it's 10 novels now with, with Afterlives?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. it's 10 novels, yeah.
1: yeah. what what have you learned about yourself kind of going through this um, process 10 times over?
2: Well, it, I've not been writing the same old book 10 times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, it's not something direct like that, you know, like what about uh, myself? Um, If anything, I I suppose in a kind of frivolous way, I can say that I learned that I have a good memory for uh, many of the things that uh, have happened or what people tell me. Um, And for sure, I've learned that I I love this profession, this craft as you well, this process of writing, trying to, Let's take the example of something like Afterlife, where I knew I wanted to write about the war, but I didn't want to write about, I didn't want to write a war novel. Um, And deciding uh, how to approach the subject, deciding um, how to dramatize it, who would be the carrier of this or the carrier of that, and the speak, you know, those sort of arrangements, whatever. That's what I learned, how to do that, how to make, Uh, uh, people speak for you Um, speak for your ideas I mean not speak for you personally but speak for your ideas in a way that is um, persuasive and that is not hectoring and lecturing and something like that to to make people see what it is that you see Um, and they see more sometimes because you don't always see everything that you think you see so I think I learned that, how to, how to convey, to transmit an idea um, through, through fiction, through, through telling a story, right? through, through making other people do things and for that to speak for itself. Yeah,
1: and those are some big, big lessons from somebody who never, you know, didn't grow up uh, even dreaming about being a, uh, an author.
2: Well, you learn as you go along.
1: no doubt no doubt if you could um and i know i I, we we do have to wrap in the next couple of minutes but if, if you could write a letter to your younger self maybe it's that 18 year old um younger self who left zanzibar to go to a foreign country um if you could whisper some words of advice into their ear or write them a letter what would you what would you tell your younger self if anything
2: uh, I'd probably say, depending on how I was feeling, I'd either say, don't panic, just stick it out, whatever it is, if, you, if what you've done is leave and so on. At other times, I'd say, don't leave. So it's always been, throughout my life, really, I've wondered, uh, and I'm sure other people do, uh, what was the right decision? To stay or to go? But you can't know the answer to these sorts of questions (laughs) because you went and did one thing rather than the other. Uh, But nonetheless, it's it's something I do speculate about. So people ask me, would you have written if you hadn't left? I don't know. I can't know the answer to that. Yeah. So I would just say, whatever it is, just don't panic. Just do it.
1: Just do it. What What do you think your life would have been like um, if you hadn't left?
2: Well, that's what I keep asking myself.
1: <laughs> maybe that's a story for your next book. I don't know.
2: Maybe, maybe. But, well, in fact, it's uh, I have written about that in one of my books, Desertion, uh, which does have two brothers. One leaves, one stays. So it's, so it's a way of sort of um, examining that.
1: Yeah. And, um, you know, I know you are a uh, uh, professor emeritus. Um, if you, and I'm sure you've, uh, talk to many students who've, who've wanted to write. Um, what are some words of advice you'd give somebody who says, you know, I'd like to write a book someday, I'd like to publish a book, I'd like to be a published author? What would you tell that person?
2: I'd say just go write it. I didn't teach creative writing, by the way, so they probably wouldn't have come to me with a question like that. <laughs> we, would have come up to, to, we would have gone rather to one of my colleagues. Yeah. But in any case, if somebody wanted to speak about that, I would say, well, there is no other way. You've just got to write the thing and hope that it works. There is no answer. I mean, I suppose you could do a creative writing course. Yeah. Um, But uh, if you don't do that, if you don't want to do that, or if it's not possible, then you just get on with it. Just write uh, and keep trying until you either um, find somebody who says, yeah, this is the thing. This is is it. Or ultimately, after repeated attempts, Say, oh well, <laughs> maybe not in this life or something mm-hmm. like that.
1: Right. Well, at least they, you know, they, they maybe they write their story for themselves and and maybe all that,
2: all that. Sometimes people do that uh, and uh, keep it, um, you know, for their descendants who then find it. And uh, of course, there are there are writers, some of the very very well known writers who who didn't uh, publish anything in their lifetime right so more or less more or less nothing. Kafka being one. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, you are not one of those writers. I'm not. You are not. And, and I'm thankful for that. And I'm sure uh, my listeners are as well. I'll remind everybody the book is Afterlives. Uh, the author is Abdul Razak Khurna. We have been uh, talking for the last half hour and I've enjoyed our conversation.
2: So have I. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you and enjoy the rest of your day.
2: You too. Right. <laughs> Bye-bye.